0: Hi, my name is Jess, I serve as one of the leaders here at The Point Church at Federal Way. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to one of our recent sermons. I hope that as you listen to this sermon, that you feel seen and heard and known by the God who created the universe. Here at The Point Church, that's what we strive to do. Make people feel seen, heard, and known so they see, hear, and know Jesus. I hope over these next few minutes that you truly begin to feel him and see him and know him. And if you ever have any questions, feel free to visit our website, thepointfw.com. Be sure to note the point has an E at the end. We'd love to get in contact with you and answer any questions you have. All right, let's dive into the message. Well, guys, for those of you that may not know me, my name is Stephen and I serve as one of the pastors here at the Point Church and, and it's such an honor every week to get to be here. This is only our second week so it's not like I've done this a lot, but, but it's it's an honor to be here and to get to open God's word. Uh, we call it the God's Word uh, that we call the Bible. It's, uh, it's kind of how we live our life. It's how we find out about Jesus. It's how we find out about what God wants for us and from us. Um, and what's really about discovering uh, the, the, what the words of Scripture tell us is that we continue to see how the Lord sees us and hears us and knows us, and then we get to see him, we get to hear him, and we get to know him just a little bit better. So, as we kind of go through uh, what, you know, some people call this a sermon, some people call it a message, you know, we're just gonna call it talking about Jesus, um, and, you know, this time together. We're, we're starting or we're, we're continuing a series uh, called That You May Believe, and it's a, it's a walk through the Gospel of John, but uh, as I kind of explained last week for those that weren't here, we're actually gonna track the story of Jesus through the whole Bible. Because I think it's important for us to understand how this entire 66-book collection tells one story. And it's the story of God stepping out of heaven to save us. And so uh, today we're going to be in the book of John. John is in the the New Testament of your Bible, which is like the the second part. It's uh, about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. If you have it, I'd love for you to open it up. Don't worry, we'll have the words on the screen if you don't have it. Um, There's also these things called phones, and uh, they have apps. And there is an amazing uh, organization that built an app that has the Bible, and you can have it in any language or translation that you would like. Uh, We here will use uh, use the Christian Standard Bible, that version. Uh, So if you're if, if you want to to really read it, it like it's going to be displayed you can do that as well but I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, You probably can hear her (laughs) over here, though. Uh, But I have a a beautiful baby girl named Sparrow, and she is funny, and she's silly, and she loves food. If you don't believe me, just look at her thighs. Like, those things could crush cars, I'm pretty sure. But, um, you know, sometimes, uh, like, like I look at her, and I just, like, I can't handle what's going on inside of me, right? Uh, Like, she's just, she's everything that we ever prayed. For and wanted, and sometimes when I'm uh, I'm holding her in the middle of the night because she she loves to sleep, but she only loves to sleep sometimes. And um, normally about two in the morning, she's like, "Hey, it's time to party." Um, so with her mom working uh, in Seattle in the mornings, I get up uh, and I hold her, and I and I, I get these moments with my daughter um, where I'm rocking her, I'm I'm, I'm holding her, I'm, and uh, she's uh, she's falling asleep or she is asleep, and I, I get my my mind gets to wondering, like, what's she going to be? Who's she going to be? What is she going to love? What, uh, you know, what's her... you know, what is her favorite color going to be? You know, will she be a soccer player like she's supposed to be, or is she going to, like, dance like her mom? Um, you know, will she la- love the, the same books that I loved growing up? Uh, you know, what, what is this little kid going to grow up into? And, you know, some of these things I'm going to be able to influence. You know, she already watches a couple soccer games a week, so we're working on that. Uh, but others I'm just going to have to sit, and I'm going to have to watch. But every night before she goes to bed, her mom and I pray for a couple key things that we really want to see from her. We pray that she will be kind and that she'll be compassionate. We pray that she'll be strong. We pray that she'll be brave. We pray that she will know Jesus, and and then she'll lead other people to know Jesus as well. And there's a lot of other things that we would really like for her to be, but if she ends up being none of those, but she's those things that we pray for, we would be so, so happy. See, at some point, Sparrow's going to have to answer some really important questions that I, as her dad, really won't be able to answer for her. I'm going to do my best to help inform the answer to those questions. I'm going to try to help her get to the, what I believe are the right conclusions, the ones that I know will be best for her, but ultimately it's going to be up to her to seek out those answers. And in my opinion, the two most important questions a Sparrow will ever have to answer, and really it's what any of us will ever have to answer, are what do we believe about Jesus and why do we believe that? Well, these aren't overly complex questions. They're, you know, in their nature, they're, they're pretty simple, but their significance goes far beyond that, far beyond any earthly or, or temporary thing. In fact, they may be questions that all of us need to answer before we can answer any of life's other questions. See, these answers matter. They inform everything that I do, everything about my life. They drive me to do the things that I do, to act the way that I act, to think the way that I think, and to accomplish what I hope to accomplish. The why, though, is almost as important as the what. We cannot just believe these things because someone told us about Jesus. We can't believe them because our parents did. And we shouldn't just believe these things blindly. Finding the why really deepens the what. As we walk through the story of Jesus and this biography of his life that we call the book of John, I want us to keep those two questions in front of us. What do I believe about Jesus and why do I believe that? As I raise my daughter, I want to keep those questions in front of her. I I want to invite you to explore what you believe about Jesus. But I also want you to to discover why you believe that. What is the foundation on which your belief is built? And all along the way, I'm going to share little bits of my story, how I discovered Jesus. It won't be all at once, but you'll get to know kind of how I got to the conclusion that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. He's the Messiah or the Savior, the Christ, the Savior of the world. So with your Bibles open to John chapter 1, let's start at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness could not overcome it. I'm going to skip down to verse 10. I'm not ignoring verses 6, 7, and 8. We'll get back to those, but let's just go to verse 10. Um, Verse 10 says, he was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him. He gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Now, there's a lot here. so <laughs> a lot in these verses, and it took me many more days than I thought I would need to kind of get this and boil this down, and I still didn't do a really great job, but we're going to ch- just try to take it piece by piece. See, this first sentence in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, was, was God, and the word was with God. In that very first sentence, we get a theology lesson that some of us in this room have paid thousands of dollars to get, okay? Uh, and John said, here, I'll do it in a sentence, and uh, you won't have to pay me at all. But John, you know, John comes out of the gates swinging on who Jesus is. There's more depth there than I could ever break down in 30 minutes, uh, but you know, I'm gonna, I, I, I could literally i could focus on the word word, uh, and that, that's a Greek word, logos, and we could probably be here for a couple hours, um, so I'm not going to go that route, um, but, uh, but I do want to point out something about the idea of words. God as a being is completely invisible, and he's impossible to fathom. How can we imagine a being that has always been and will always be? A being that's everywhere but nowhere in particular, knows all, he created time, has the power to do anything but the restraints to give us free will, and I could just go on and on about the attributes of God. The incomprehensibility is, is a lot like thoughts. How do you describe thoughts? Thoughts. No one can see thoughts. No one can hear thoughts or really explain where thoughts come from. We have an idea of how thoughts are formed, and we know the way that thoughts move along like neurons and axons. We know which parts of the brains control which thoughts and, and body motions and, and emotions. We can kind of quantify you know, some of those things, but we, we can't really quantify sentience. We can't trace the origin of thought. Thoughts are only revealed or seen and heard and known when we speak them, or we write them, or we sign them. We express thoughts of love through words. We propose marriage through words. Words are the expression of something that's invisible. Did you know that goals, statistically, goals are 42% more likely to be accomplished if they're written down? See, there's something powerful about the invisible becoming visible, something powerful about words. So the fact that Jesus here is called the word is incredibly significant. It shows a bit about God, I think. It shows so much compassion and care. It shows that he, know, he cares enough to prove to us that he is real. It shows that he wanted us to see him and hear him and know him. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of an invisible God to us. But this first sentence tells us even more than that. It tells us even more about who God is and who Jesus is. We see that Jesus has always existed with God. He was not created at the time of his miraculous conception, and we call this theology preeminence when we want to be really fancy. But really, it just means that Jesus always has been. So if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write that kind of piece down. That's, that's the first piece we need to understand is that Jesus always has been. The original language here, in the original language, the verb was is, is given in what is called a continuing set, uh, tense. So this means that John here is really saying that in the beginning was the word and, is conti- and that word is continuing to be. And, and that word is continuing to be with God and that word is continuing to be God there is a very real sense of forever in this description. Not just a was, but it always is and always will be. Not only has Jesus been, but he will be forever. Then the next thing we encounter is the, the triune nature of God. So if you're taking notes, write down that God is triune. Now, you may have heard the word Trinity before. And, and That word actually never appears in the Bible. So if you're looking, if you're doing like a word search in your Bible, it's never going to show up. It's not there. Um, uh, So I like to use the word Godhead a little bit more. I think it's a better word. I think it's more scriptural. Um, But Trinity isn't bad. Okay, It's, It's not bad. And actually, the reason it kind of became the vernacular for us in the church is because it explicitly states the truth of our God in three persons. From the start of God revealing himself to us through Scripture... God has claimed to exist in multiple persons. We call them God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The very first book, the book of Genesis, tells us that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the yet-to-be-formed earth. And that God desired to make man in their image. It's the word that God uses there. And John builds on this concept. In fact, he even borrows language. If you know about the Bible, the very first words of the Bible are, in the beginning. And then the very first words of John are similar, in the beginning. He does this to show that Jesus now is part of this, what we call a Trinitarian Godhead. Now, we're going to discuss the intricacies and the confusities of the Trinity later on. It is is an incredibly difficult thing to understand. God's a a very hard thing to understand sometimes, and that's okay. Um, But we're going to do that later on. I'm not going to spend any more time doing it here. But I want you to know that it's a fundamental core belief of Orthodox Christianity, and it's a fundamental core belief of us here at the Point Church. Finally, in this first sentence, we see in no uncertain terms that Jesus is divine. He is God. After all, we kind of discussed last week, if you were here, that, that that's kind of the main point John was trying to make in his whole telling the story of Jesus. He wanted everyone to know that Jesus was God. Early on, John wants us to know that if Jesus isn't God, he could not save us. So if you're taking notes, write that down. If, if, if Jesus isn't God, he could not save us. That's why it's so important for us to know from the beginning that Jesus not only was with God, not only uh, uh, had helped in creation or, or was an agent of creation, but that Jesus was God. This simple truth may seem trivial to some, but it's actually pivotal. Because John is writing so that we would believe that Jesus was not only God, but he was Messiah, which means Savior. And he, he, he feels that we should come to the same conclusion about Jesus' divinity very soon on. He sets the cards on the table. This man who I, who, this is John speaking in my words, but this man who I believe is Messiah was with God and was God from the beginning. Then verse 3 continues on with the theme of Jesus as God, as it tells us that Jesus was the creator with God. Not one thing was created outside of him. Verse 3 says, all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. It tells us in the affirmative that all things were created, and in the negative, that there's nothing that, wasn't, that is created that wasn't created through him. And this is not just John's thought. This is not just like a thing that John decided to tack on. This is actually shared by the early church, and we know this because oftentimes we see it pop up in other parts of the New Testament. In fact, a man named Paul, who was the first church planter, he's kind of like the, the patron saint of my profession, um, but it, 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 he puts it this way in a, a letter that he wrote in a church that, to a church that he started in a place called Colossae. He says this in Colossians 1, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Now, just for a second, I love those words. Through him all things are held together. Not only did Jesus see fit to create us, and to create a world and create a universe that has 10 octillion stars. That's Einstein. That's his best guess about the universe, 10 octillion. If you don't know how many that is, it goes 100,000, million, okay? A thousand millions is a billion. A thousand billions is a trillion. A thousand trillions is a quadrillion. A thousand quadrillions is a quintillion. A thousand quintillions is a... Can't remember, but it goes all the way up to eight. So it's it's, it's it's one followed by 20 something zeros. I can't remember exactly. I didn't put it in my notes. This is me remembering. It's in my notes. So if you need them, I can give them to you. But, but God, Jesus sees it fit to, to create a universe that has 10 octillion stars, which those stars have the ability to have solar systems like us. And, our, and in our solar system, there are nine or eight, depending on poor Pluto, uh, eight or nine planets. And on one planet, there is eight billion people. Like, think about that majesty for just a minute. And Jesus holds it all together. So important for us to realize that Jesus is an agent of creation. Now, We've talked about some really heady and academic and semi-boring stuff. Can we just all agree? But I I think I needed to set that table. So if you've kept up with me this far, hopefully there's some payoff for you here. Why, Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we know and believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is triune, and that Jesus is creator? First, uh, uh, let's, let's just take these things at face value. So even if you're not quite there with me, if, if in your faith journey you're not like totally like, yeah, I totally believe all of this, let's just for a second suspend that disbelief and let's just say that God has always been in Jesus and that Jesus has always been God and that Jesus has always been with God and, and that he created all things. Let's just, let's just for a second as a group say, yes, we believe all of those things. So if that is true, think of the power that Jesus holds. Think of what he can do. And think of the awe that we should be in by just thinking about him. I think we could easily find ourselves in awestruck reverence, crippled by his majesty. But that's that's not how John wants us to experience Jesus in this moment. He tells us just a few verses later in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. See here, John reminds us that they, they all experienced The glory of this powerful, almighty God becoming flesh. And what was the takeaway that John has? Not that he was crippled, not that he was on his knees, not that he could do nothing. His takeaway was that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. Jesus didn't come to scare us. He didn't come to force us by flexing his cosmic might. He didn't even come as a great human. He came as a poor an unassuming child with no title, and he grew up into a man that was full of grace and truth. Verse 10 says this. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. All of this glory, all of this majesty, all of this power, all of this might, all of it becomes flesh, and he comes to the people who should know him best, and his own people, the people of Israel, did not receive him because they were looking for a god of temporary rescue, like what their their Forefathers and ancestors had seen a, a God who came in a pillar, or pillar of fire and was gone, an earthquake and was gone, a storm or a burning bush, and, and then w- would, would go back into invisibility. But then Jesus came. But then Jesus came as the word, the, in, the visible expression of an invisible God, and he came to save forever in a way that they could not understand. In a way to show us what it really means to be human. By stepping out of his heavenly realm and putting on the very thing that he created, Jesus shows us that not only was he willing to save, but he was willing to empathize with us. He was willing to suffer with us. He was willing to have acne and skinned knees. Maybe he was willing to have a bald spot like I am beginning to experience and discovering different ways to cover it up with my hair. Jesus came to be relatable. I I think there's another reason that it's important for us to understand these first few verses. It's that it proves that we can trust him. Who better to save humanity from themselves than the one who created them? So if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write down that we can trust Jesus. If Jesus is creator, then when he speaks to what we need, when he speaks to what makes us whole, and when he tells us how we should live our lives, we can trust that he knows what he's talking about. When he asks us to do hard things, we can trust that he knows the outcome is worth the struggle. we are to build a foundation of faith on Jesus we kind of need to know his credentials and him being in the beginning being the word being with God being God being the agent of creation those are pretty strong credentials that's why I believe John begins the story of Jesus with these verses I think he's saying this is why reading this story is worth your time therefore you should believe Now let's look at verse four. Girl, you got to calm down. Verse four says this. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet darkness did not overcome it. So now here we see a little bit of a shift, and and, and John, John didn't really care about chronology. He didn't always order his thoughts exactly how we would. So sometimes when I'm going through these, these stories and these passages. I'm going to kind of look at concepts through different, different places. But um, can we all agree that we live in a pretty dark world? The early first century was no different. I know it's super popular right now in some Christian circles to say, like, oh, the world's never been worse, but that's, uh, that, that's not true. Like, The world has always been what it has always been. We just are much more aware of the the world now. We, we, we We see the darkness much more than we ever have. So the early first century was no different. Darkness has been a part of earth's history for a long time. Death has been our most feared enemy and our most inescapable reality for almost as long as humans have existed. But then Jesus came. Not only did he come to show us what it means to be fully human, not only did he come to save us, but he came to fix the world, his creation. See, we weren't the only things that he came to redeem. He came to redeem the whole earth. The beautiful part of verse 5 to me is that even though Jesus has ascended into heaven, if you didn't know that that happens at the end of the story, I'm, I'm sorry that I spoiled it for you. But uh, So Jesus has ascended into to heaven, but he left his light here. Those of us that have put our faith in Jesus are continuing to fight against the darkness. We are the proof that darkness has not overcome light. And we are tasked with continuing to beat back the darkness by shining his light into dark places. But how do we do that? I think it's pretty simple. We must bring the hope of Jesus to hurting and broken people. Bringing the hope of Jesus to hurting and broken people sounds really nice, but let me be clear. Ultimately, the light is, is the gospel, and hurting and broken people's deepest need is to know Jesus. But we don't just get to post up on a corner with a bullhorn and start yelling scripture at people and check off our gospel box. We don't just get to say by shouting at people that we have brought light into the darkness. See, John shows something as he captures the interactions and dialogues that Jesus has with people. Jesus definitely wanted to fulfill people's spiritual need, but he didn't ignore that they had physical and emotional needs as well. Jesus made a point to fulfill the needs of hurting and broken people, and then he would invite them to follow him. If they were hungry, he fed them. If they needed healing, he healed them. If they needed to mourn, he mourned with them. That's the example that Jesus gave. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just the spiritual need. He knew that ultimately he had to get there. That's why uh, we exist to make people feel seen and heard and known so they see and hear and know Jesus. Right? We always want that second piece, but we don't just get to give the gospel and walk away. We bring the gospel with physical need, with emotional need. We take care of people because that's what Jesus did. This example we will see many times as we walk through the stories of Jesus, and it's one that we have to follow. This is why here at The Point, we feel like we are here to serve our community just as much as we are to share the light of the gospel with them. We cannot exist without one or the other. If we only exist to serve our community, then we're a great civic organization. not a church. But if we're only here to stand inside our walls and to talk about the Bible or just to to hand a track to someone or just tell them about Jesus, then we're actually not doing what Jesus set up the church to do. It's not an either or. It's a both and. Always. Now, I want to end with what I believe to be the most compelling piece of this whole pie. Yes, it is compelling that God became flesh and dwelt among us. Yes, it is compelling that Jesus was God and was with God and was the agent of creation. But really, for me, this verse 12 kind of captures what is most compelling. Verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. This is such an impactful truth, and it's such a peak piece of theology. But it's not one that often gets talked about in, in heady circles. It's the theology of adoption. Jesus, the preeminent almighty creator God, descended from his throne to look at someone like me with nothing to offer to him. And he gives me the privilege of being called his son. I bring nothing to the table for a God like that. And he still chose me. Not because I kind of won the cosmological DNA lottery and just happened to get to be a son of God. But because Jesus chose me. He chose to put his name on me. I don't know about you, but adoption videos on social media, they bring me into To sobs of joy. Watching these kids realize that their journey for belonging is over and that someone has picked them to love them forever, it quite literally wrecks me. I can't hold it together as they read whatever words their adoptive parents have written to tell them that after today, they're no longer orphans. And the day that we choose to put our faith in Jesus, that is the day that our wandering souls Souls that are wandering and seeking for acceptance and for a place to belong. The day we put our faith in Jesus, that's the day all of that seeking is over. These are the words, the words of the, of the uh, who we call the Apostle John. These are the words that we as orphans get to read that our Father wrote for us. On that day, on the day that we step over the line of faith, our hearts are no longer orphaned. And we are given the name that is above every other name. From that day forward, we get to be called the children of God. And that is worth believing in. The king of the universe calls us his own. That's breathtaking. That's unfathomable. But that is also something that we should believe in about Jesus. So in light of all of this, in light of adoption, in light of of the Trinity, in light of of preeminence, in in the light of of, of creation, in light of all of those things, I want us to ask ourselves, what do you believe about Jesus? And why do you believe that? And over the next months and, and maybe years, as we walk through this, and we walk through the story of the Bible, I want us to establish what we believe about Jesus. As we invite more people into this place who may not believe the same things about Jesus that we do or have no idea why they actually do, I want us to keep these thoughts in front of us because they matter. The answers matter. The why deepens the what. And I believe, I don't know about you, but I believe John has just made such a strong case for why we should at least explore Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son, your son who always was, and always is, and always will be. Lord, I pray that you would guide us. Lord, as we try to figure out how to make people feel seen and heard and known so that they see and hear and know you, Lord, I just pray that you would send your wisdom and your guidance to us. Lord, I pray that as we discover your words, Lord, we discover the truth of who Jesus is and we understand why we should believe that. Lord, I pray that you would empower us by your spirit to go into the city of Federal Way, Lord, and to to shine the light of your gospel we would be able to meet people's physical needs, their emotional needs, as well as their spiritual needs, because we know that the brokenness in our world cannot be fixed without you. There's no program, there's no special thing we could do, there's no resource we could give that doesn't end with more brokenness unless you're there to heal us. In Jesus' name, amen.